At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Uh, welcome to the show. Today we've got a very special guest on. She is a chief executive officer of the National Domestic Violence Hotline, where she provides a strategic vision and leadership for the only hotline in the nation that links victims and survivors to more than 4,500 shelters and domestic violence programs across the United States, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Now, for more than a decade, um, she's been established, she's established herself as a leader in the domestic violence movement and has extensive experience working with victims and survivors. Um, and proud to be named CEO of the hotline, she served as a president of the organization for three years. She was also the operations director where she transformed operations within the hotline and national dating abuse hot helpline, which is now known as Love is Respect. Of course it is, and it always should be. Um, in addition, she's managed an emergency shelter, uh, transitional and permanent housing programs, non-residential services for survivors and their children, services for individuals with HIV AIDS, and a therapeutic preschool for children who have witnessed violence. She's also worked at a legal clinic that provides assistance to domestic violence um, victims, seeking restraining orders, provided individual therapy, facilitated groups for survivors and abusers, and worked with the Texas Health and Human Services Commission, administering funding to family violence providers throughout the state. Whoa. I wonder how she gets, I wonder how she like comes home with a smile every day. That's a rough one. Man, introduce our guest, Katie Ray Jones. Katie, how are you today? I'm well, Doug. How are you? I, I'm better than the people you talk to, man. It's not to be a Debbie Downer, but how, do, how in the heck do you like, I'm reading that thing going, it's all this pain and suffering. How do you come home with a smile? Well, I think I was blessed with a really good sense of humor and positive perspective yeah. on life in general. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think given the work that I do and the people around me do, I always find positive things and uh -huh. people's strength, courage, resilience. Yeah. And uh, that's why I've been doing this work for as long as I have. Amazing. I, I love it. It's, it's so important to a lot of people, you know, we, we all do things in our life that try to make the world a better place. And sometimes it's two or three steps removed, right? I'm going to do a leadership book and maybe that's going to help somebody, you know, get a, a raise and send their kids to college. You are a frontliner. You're helping people like not die uh, and survive. It's uh, like going to war every day. Um, and I, I was, I was on a, um, a group um, uh, fundraiser last year in 2020. Um, it was for the childhelp.org uh, for the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they told me during the pandemic that the hotline went up 25% in terms of calls. Did you see a, a, a spike in your calls as well? We did. We did. So since about March of 2020, we've had probably nearly 31,000 individuals who've reached out to specifically say that COVID was being leveraged by their abusive partner in their home to further isolate, control, intimidate. You can imagine when we're put on stay-at-home orders and you're in an abusive relationship, you're with the one person 24-7 who is most likely emotionally abusing you, possibly physically abusing you. And it's just not a good situation mm -hmm. when there's power and control dynamics in the home. So we did see a bit of an increase. It's fluctuated really throughout the pandemic as we've seen maybe people feel a little bit more safe to move about 
return to work. Um, and yet we still hear some stories where the abusive person is preventing the person from breaking free from the relationship. You know, I, um, I don't know if you know the numbers on this, but I know that for every person that has the courage uh, to call, there's more that aren't. Um, do you know what, on average, I mean, it's hard to track that, of course, we don't know who's not calling, if they're not calling, but yeah. do you have any idea on how many people are, are too afraid to, to do anything? Yeah, unfortunately, domestic violence, to your point, is such a silent epidemic. Yeah. Research that has been done um, indicates that one in four women, one in seven men, will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. So we would say as domestic violence advocates, this has been a pandemic for a very long time. It's incredibly pervasive in our society. Um, and you're right, it is a, a moment of incredible strength and courage when someone can pick up the phone and ask for help. And they might not have a lot of opportunity to do that because what we know about abusive partners is that anything the victim survivor is doing to try to seek help could be a moment where the abusive partner feels like they're losing control and then exert more violence. Right. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just play devil's advocate for a second. One in four physical abuse in their lifetime from a partner or just from an event? From an intimate partner and one in seven men. So this isn't yeah. only a women's issue. I mean, this is really an indicator <laughs> of the amount of abuse happening. Yeah, I, I find that hard to believe. I mean, just I'm just gonna go on the anecdotal side, not the data side, but I'm thinking like, well, I know four couples, and I don't think, or eight or 16, and you, you don't really know what's going on, of course, right? But it's hard to mm -hmm. imagine one out of four, one out of seven in their lifetime. That just seems like a massive number. Does that surprise you it at is, all or is it not? Um, you know, it's so interesting because as I've traveled about the world and people know what I do for a living, yeah. um, more often than not, the person sitting me next, next to me on the airplane tells me a story of how they are someone that they know very well um, is a victim, survivor. Uh, I can go, you know, I've been at a party at my neighbor's house and right. someone discloses something happening to them. So it's certainly a place, just as you said, like we don't often know what's going on in yeah. people's lives. And because of those power and control dynamics that exist in these relationships, yeah. it's not a space where the victim survivor is talking freely about what's going on. And what we know about how abusive partners show up you know, this is not an anger management issue. This is not someone who's going to show up angry at work. They're mm -hmm. going to appear incredibly charismatic. When people find out that someone's an abusive partner, they're like, not them. Like, I know them so well. They couldn't yeah. possibly do it. And then we see conversation shifts to victim blaming. And, and that's a, a space where, you know, our organization at the hotline is really trying to change the discourse in our country. Yeah, no, there's... I, I'm a pretty open-minded person, but there's a binary thing here. It's like, no, you don't hit a woman or, you know, in the one in seven of men, you just don't, I mean, there's always an option not, not to do that. I'm sorry. I mean, it's such an interesting space, right? The fact that you say that because there's so many women who reach out to the hotline, they will often say they've never had a man tell them that it's not okay for someone to hit them. And that's an, an interesting space, right? When you say like, I just know that not every man is told that. Not every woman has heard that from another man. I got, I got a lot of advice from my father, but there was one thing he was like adamant about. So there's one, the one rule that's not breakable. And that's that, that you don't hit for yeah. mm -hmm. No excuse for it. 
of course, the old joke. No, I can't do. I can't do jokes on this, can I? Shoot. No, Doug, you cannot. You cannot. <laughs> well, I caught myself at least. I caught myself. Oh my gosh! All right, so, so the the bigger question I have on this whole issue is because I, you know, I've not had your experience, but I do have run across a couple of, of people who have had the conversations, and the thing that's most disheartening to me is the um, obviously the woman case is a lot more popular, is the fact that um, they don't see it as abuse or they use the word they 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 deserve it things like that mm-hmm. i mean how do you how do you go from that to even even think about making a phone call when they don't even they, they blame themselves yeah i mean it's such a good point because so many of our calls and chats and texts start with mm-hmm. how do i get them to stop doing this what do i need to do to make it stop and we're talking a lot about it's not you you one, no human is perfect, but even if you were, the abusive partner will find something yeah. to nitpick, right? Outside of physical abuse, because one of what we know is there's so much emotional abuse that also yeah. happens in these relationships. Uh, like 93% of abusive relationships have financial abuse. So there's a lot of complexities to these relationships yeah. that we are doing a lot of education on to really show the full picture of how power and control can show up in these relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's not about what you yourself are doing. That is a thread that the abusive partner will use. Absolutely. Well, if you would just do X, I wouldn't react that way. Or if you would have done this, then I wouldn't have had to hit you, push you, yell at you. But really, you know, we can't control one's another person's happiness. We can't control their anger. They're responsible for those reactions. And when you choose to abuse someone, it is exactly that. It's a choice. For sure. For sure. So if if I was talking to a friend and their sister or mother, or whatever was uh was talking that kind of language, right? Oh yeah, you know, he's he's a little bit rough sometimes, but he I know he loves me, that kind of BS. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um what can a lay person do to help her wake up? So the first thing someone can always do, visit our website, thehotline.org. It has lots of tips for family, friends. In that moment, you want to just really hear that experience and, and validate the feelings that they're possibly feeling. That must be really frustrating. Um, I'm worried for you. No one deserves to be treated this way. Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. How can I help you? I'm here for you. I think what is so hard for family and friends is that on average, a person will go back and forth out of that relationship almost seven times, seven times before they leave for good. And for family and friends, what we often hear, because that's our second highest contact type, our family and friends wanting to know how to help. Mm -hmm. And we will say like, The worst thing you can do is try to engage in tough love and say, that's it, I'm walking away. That is the abusive partner's dream. Um, So while it's important for you to take care of yourself during this journey, also try to be as non-judgmental as you can. When we start telling someone, you should do this, you need to do this, we become not any different than the abusive partner who's controlling their lives. Yeah, we wanna just say, we're here to support you. offer the hotlines number. At the hotline, our model is really to walk someone through all the options available to them. Mm -hmm. And then talk about the risks and benefits of each of those options so that the survivor can make an informed decision. They know their partner the best. Mm 
They know what their partner's capable of. And so we just want to support all of us, support the victim survivor on that journey. And we're not done yet, but you might as well mention the number now. What's the number? <laughs> it's 1-800-799-SAFE. Very good. That's 800-799-SAFE. Those in the show notes here. Check it out. Wow, Katie. Okay, so... Yeah, that's a really, really good advice. You can't tell someone shoulda, woulda, coulda because yeah, you're never, you know, you're from a not from a degree standpoint, from a foundational standpoint, you're no different than the abuser telling somebody what to do, and they're already probably um, fragile, weak anyway. So it's yeah, it's that's rough, man. Okay, so you've been doing this for a while. Have you seen any trends upwards, downwards, sideways? Yeah, I think, you know, as we continue, I, you know, I've done this over 20 years, um, and I think I first started in the field, really, you know, it was very basic in terms of why doesn't she just leave? Uh, we didn't talk about the complexities involved in abusive relationships. We weren't talking about the emotional abuse, financial abuse, certainly not the online abuse that we see abusive partners using now. Um, and so online? I think there's really... I'm sorry. So like online abuse would be leveraging someone's social media to intimidate, create fear, um, asking for their passwords or demanding their passwords to all their accounts so they can watch their movements. I mean, we hear things like people who create fake Facebook accounts to see if the survivor will engage and then accuse them of cheating on them. Um, so there's a lot of things that happen that we would go, oh my gosh, it's really unhealthy and scary behavior. Yeah. but are really actually more prevalent than you would think in our society. And as we think about a younger generation who's very much engaged yeah. online in social media, it's a huge education point for us to talk about boundaries and that mm -hmm. it's not okay. Like you don't have to share your password. Um, be thoughtful if you're engaging in sexting because those pictures could show up somewhere else. Um, so we hear about a lot of those dynamics happening in these relationships. So I think that's been a shift, um, particularly the media has been doing a much better job about really talking about those complexities, which then allows family, friends, survivors themselves to see threads of themselves in those stories, which then prompts them to say, ooh, that little piece right there, that sounds like me. Yeah, I should reach out. And so it, it, it is a pivot in our educational and awareness standpoint as a country as we continue to challenge those myths about abusive relationships. Wow. Okay. Well, it's, it's National Domestic Abuse Month in October, right? That's what we're doing is so yeah, uh, 800-799-SAFE because we want our friends, family to be safe. Mm -hmm. if, if, I'm, if I go too deep here, just cut me off or change the topic, topic but um, <laughs> I'm so fascinated as to this control issue from a psychological standpoint, you know, one out of four, one out of seven people feel the need to control their partner to the point where it's ugly. You know, where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, so it's such a great question. So I would say like, oh, well, why doesn't she just leave? I'll always say the better question is why is he hitting? Why is he controlling? Yeah. I'm using gender specific language right now. To your point, Doug, it's more prevalent in we'll with- just, We'll just sit with the guys. That's easier for most with people. With the female, anyway. yeah. But it, it definitely, men can be victims as well. Yeah. And, and so what we know is that people who are using power and control dynamics typically have seen somewhere in their own trauma where violence has worked and got someone the outcome that they wanted. 
The other piece is these, these would be individuals we'd see who maybe don't have um, the strongest coping skills or um, conflict resolution skills as well. Again, they're gonna show up often as fairly good employees, good friends, at times even as great parents, which I think is such a challenging space for the victim survivor. And I often hear that from the victim survivor, but they're such a great dad or they're such a great mom. Um, and that often keeps them in the relationship. But our next effort at the hotline is to actually think about how do we create a safe space for the person who's choosing to cause harm to reach out and gain tips and strategies to prevent violence. And while we've seen the country evolve with treatment programs, it's not consistent across our country of what that could look like, but we really wanna to begin to arm people with the tools they need. So when they're feeling a certain way in a relationship, they have the strategies to walk away, not engage in violence, but most importantly, the, the person causing the harm also needs to understand the dynamics of a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship so they can begin to change behaviors. I didn't understand this. So this hotline is not just for victims, it's for the people doing the, inflicting the harm. It absolutely is meant to, to serve both. It's this very small population, as you can imagine. Yeah, they have it's, the courage to say, I'm, I'm doing that. And I, and I will say, we're, we're hearing from a younger population who's more likely to reach out and say, I just saw something on TV where someone grabbed um, their girlfriend's phone and threw it against the wall. I've done that. What does that mean for me? And we've been able to talk about how that can be a dynamic of an abusive relationship. Wow. So that's that's just fascinating to me. That, I mean, I, I, on, a, on a percentage basis, how many of these, I'll just use guys for now. How many have the courage to call in and say, I, I, I need help? Percentage, Very I'll, I'll get 100 calls, you get like one out of 100 or what it would be? It's about 3%. It's about 3% of our contacts. We're a, a really busy hotline. People don't realize we get anywhere from 1,200 to 1,400 contacts a day. Mm -hmm. So we have a high volume of people coming in seeking help. And 3% of that, it will may identify as an abusive partner. Or they may call and say, hey, this is happening. How do I get them to stop doing what they're doing? And then we're saying... That sounds like you're using power and control by <laughs> um, And so we need to do a little education and safety planning with you uh, as well. That is amazing to me. And uh, kudos to you for uh, embracing the situation, not 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 being the 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 phone abuser saying you gotta shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? That's that's really good to yeah. bring him in. So mm -hmm. I also I have a friend who does um uh, he he breaks up sex trafficking rings in Asia. And he's got a really good system of safe houses where nobody knows who they are, right? Once the kids are, are rescued, they're in the safe house, rehab, the whole thing. Yeah. What's the, um, what's the climate like for uh, shelters for uh, uh, abused people? Is there uh, enough so space for people or not? Or Typically not enough space. Uh, the domestic violence service system, all the way from residential programming to non-residential services, mm -hmm. such as counseling, legal assistance, et cetera, is overburdened, under-resourced. Um, we do a lot of work working with Congress to ensure that the appropriations amount, the funding levels going out to programs across the United States continues to increase. Um, we know that oftentimes when we're trying to get someone connected to shelter, they're full. Uh, there's wait lists for counseling services, wait lists for legal services, and 
you know, one of the most needed things in our country are survivors who are looking for um, attorneys to be able to represent them in family court um, with custody issues, divorce proceedings. And that is something that is really hard to find. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, are, are there any private groups that do the housing thing for people? Is it all publicly funded? Um, there's both. So if anyone's listening and wants to help, um, certainly you can contact the hotline to find the local shelter in your community. And we will make that connection for you so that you can um, get connected and support your local program in the ways they need it. It's not just monetary support, even donating clothing, furniture and goods for the shelter is often incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. Great. Good, good point. So you just call the same number, the seven, 1-800-799-SAFE. And, uh, don't just be a spectator. That's the one thing I can't stand about um, programs like this or when we see things on the media. Oh, that's a shame. Okay, well, do something about it. Quit sitting around yeah. and crying. Pick up the phone and do something. Give 20 bucks. Who cares? Do something. Make a difference, right? Because, you know, it, it all adds up. Well, and to your point, I mean, when we think about tragedy we've seen on media related to domestic violence, we often hear the neighbor or family coworker say, you know, it, now I, in hindsight, I saw warning signs. And so get educated on what those warning signs are, because mm -hmm. as we know, statistically, it's nearly impossible to be moving about the world and not know someone who's most likely suffering in silence. But something about our relationships, let us know something's not right. And getting comfortable to just say, is everything okay? I'm here for you. I've noticed something's changed. I'm always here if you need an ear and remaining non-judgmental and supporting that person is the best thing we can do. Wow. On that note, give us a, I was going to say, give me some pointers on what to, what to look for and see, but I think you kind of made it right there. Are there, are there things that you've heard or people do that might be gray? Like, Hey, I don't know if, you, if that was good or bad, but maybe I better just talk to her. I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm, you know what I'm asking, like uh, an indicator. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, most of the time people will say, like, I noticed I got into a relationship when I started seeing them less. Mm, um, so okay. isolation is a big part of the power and control dynamic. How it will show up in the relationship is typically the abusive partner saying, oh my gosh, I just want to keep spending so much more time with you. I love you so much. Don't go out with your friends tonight. Stay home with me. And then over time, they're with the abusive partner more than they're with anyone else. So isolation ha happens. If you see the person's mood changing or yeah. the way they dress changes, that could also be their partner controlling some of the pieces of their relationship. And then I think one of the biggest indicators we see is that, you know, in our country, globally, jealousy is seen as a sign that someone loves you. And while jealousy is a natural reaction, how someone responds to their jealousy that's coming up for them is an indicator of what can be really unhealthy and abusive. Right. So we're hearing from a lot of people, especially young people who are like, oh my gosh, she got so mad when I was talking to another guy. <laughs> and we're like, let's, we need to change that narrative right now because that's not a healthy relationship. And being able to spend time on your own um, without your partner is yeah. is really a strong component of a healthy relationship. Absolutely, yeah. We did it. We did a book years ago for um, 
a PhD therapist is talks about the I and the we, and you mm -hmm. can't fix the we until you fix the I. Yeah, gotta, exactly. You got to take care of yourself and be confident and open and engaging and thoughtful. And then you can have a, you can have a relationship because he says there's always three entities relationship. There's you, them, and then the we, you know, you got three there. So yeah, that's interesting stuff, man. Katie, um, I, I, uh, I applaud and am so humbled by your efforts and your dedication to this very important topic. And uh, people, if you watch this, don't just nod your head, please pick up the phone and, and donate some money or some clothes or something. Do something. Quit, quit being a spectator in life. Forget about the... I'm sorry, I got out my stump here. Don't worry about North <laughs> Korea. Focus on your neighborhood first, okay? They'll take care of themselves. Right now, you got your own backyard to, to, to look after and your neighbors. So thank you so much for being on the show. Today. I appreciate it. 1-800-799-SAVE. Call and make a difference because uh, Katie Ray Jones certainly is. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe. Click below for special offers to our show.